This is the Mile High Five podcast with Carl Jensen and Doug Cunnington. We have authentic conversations about the journey to Phi, health, happiness, and some very odd tangents. We interview Phi experts, side hustlers, people on their way to Phi, and those who have reached the other side. Join us every week, and if you want the show notes and links and all that other stuff, head over to milehighfi.com. Hello, New Jersey. Welcome to the Mile High Fi Podcast. I'm Carl Jensen with my co-host. I'm Doug Cunnington. Doug, and I said New Jersey in the intro because today we have another case study. This one is from Steve. He is 31 and he is approaching financial independence. This one is super intriguing to me because I see a lot of myself in him, probably more so than any other case study we have ever had. So I'm really looking forward to this one and I really hope I can give Steve some good information. Yeah. And I, I identify with Steve too. And I think that we exchanged like one other email um, after this. So he even mentioned that he could relate to some of the stories that I've told about my consulting gig back in the day, like working with clients and stuff like that. So he sent a lot of information. We're going to go over and unpack quite a bit of it. So should be pretty fun. Yeah. Before we get to that, I have a question for you, Doug. So I don't watch much TV, but I started watching The Sopranos probably like 10 years ago. And I'm not being sarcastic either. I think that's when I did start watching it. Actually, it was more like 15. And I haven't finished it yet, but I'm on season six, show seven. So I think I have like 12 or 13 more shows to get through. No, something like that. Anyway, um, have you watched The Sopranos before? No. Okay. Are, Are you into mob stuff or that's just not your thing? I... Yeah, I guess it's not my thing. I don't really care that much. I remember um, Elizabeth watched it and she really enjoyed it. But I think I just kind of, I saw like maybe a piece of an episode here or there, but I was like, I don't really care. Same with like uh, Game of Thrones. Okay. Like she got into that, read the books, watched everything, but I never did. Okay. I think it is a bit overrated, but it's pretty good too. It's not just like Mindy won't watch it because she thinks it's just nonstop violence and it's not really that way. It's more of a Soap opera with some violence interspersed, but I'm almost done. So I'd be curious to hear if you have any recommendations for me. What have you watched recently or what do I need to catch up on? And before I hear your answer, one thing that people always tell me I should watch is Breaking Bad. I've never seen that. Okay. That is a recommendation. Yep. Because I, we actually didn't watch Breaking Bad until like 2015. Some friends were encouraging us for like years and you've probably had the same encouragement and eventually we watched it we were hooked it was a little almost a little too much for elizabeth so i would like want to watch multiple episodes and she's like can't do it anymore it's too intense too suspenseful and all that stuff um but highly recommend it i because i haven't watched uh the sopranos i don't know if they like told the story in the same way um with like the mini series. I think they probably did. Um, and it's similar, but I was going to say, I watch a lot of like stupid sitcoms and stuff like that. So they're episodic. They don't really tell a huge long story arc. Some are, are doing a little bit more, but anyway, with uh, like breaking bad, it's like you have whatever 20 things go wrong in an episode. And then they'll resolve some, some things. And then you still have whatever, 15 open loops. So like you, you're left with a cliffhanger, like almost every episode at the end. And you're like, oh man, I can't wait to watch the next one. 
Um, is it with Sopranos like that? Uh, Sopranos, yeah, they do have that. There's no real long, there's no overarching story arc that spans the whole series, which I thought was kind of weird. I thought there'd be more of a longer story to it, but I, the seasons typically have, the seasons are the arc. The arc is within the season. There's six seasons of it, and each season is a little bit different, and yeah, there are cliffhangers. Got it. So, yeah, highly recommend Breaking Bad. Currently, we're watching Better Call Saul, like the last season, I think it's season six. And that is the prequel series for Breaking Bad. So, did you know that there was a prequel series? I have heard of that show and I knew it was related, but I didn't know if it was a prequel or a sequel. So, super cool. It is uh, Bob Odenkirk. Do you know who that is? I do not. So, he. You know, he's, I think, now most famous for being like Saul Goodman in Breaking Bad and then now Better Call Saul. And the thing is, he's a comedy guy. So he came up doing like improv and stuff. And he was a writer on Saturday Night Live for a few years, like in the late 80s, I think. And did you ever hear of, uh, it's like the, the big, it's like the big show with like Bob and Dave. And it's like David Cross and Bob Odenkirk. Ah, I know who David Cross is, Arrested Development, but I. Yeah. Have not so, heard of that. So they they had a show on HBO, like in the mid '90s or something, cult classic kind of deal. Um, but anyway, the point is, this is a you know a, a drama, but there's like you know pieces of humor in there. And Bob Odenkirk is a comedian, basically. Huh. So it's kind of crazy that his biggest show, and he's like the lead in the show. So anyway, Better Call Saul. I think I might like it more than Breaking Bad. Okay, wow. But, and I think go ahead and watch Breaking Bad first. And we could, obviously, there's actually a whole podcast on like Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul, I'm sure. But the um, the cool part is not only are the story arcs going through the seasons and like j- just spanning like a, a really long period of time, they release Better Call Saul, the prequel, afterwards. So like you're like seeing references to like things that are going to happen like in the future. So, but like many prequels, like they, they're able to tell the story, but I don't know. I don't know if, um, Vince Gilligan is the, um, creator. I don't know if he like had the idea to do all this or like how they, how they tell the story and like keep it congruent. I mean, there's so many episodes, like it must be really tough to make sure that you don't goof up and like make something impossible that already happened. So. Anyway, those are two, and um, we, we've been watching like uh, the Mindy Project too. Did you ever watch that? That's the Mindy Kaling thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I thought she was funny on The Office, and I've read her books, but I have not seen that show. Yeah, it's pretty funny too. It's worth checking out. And we, we have a couple others. Modern Family, you watch that? That's the one with a guy from, what's that show that was on when we were kids? Ed Harris, is that him? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Married with Children. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. so that, that's a good one too. It's about 10 seasons, 20-minute episodes. So that's another thing. Like you'll get comedy, drama, when hour-long episodes or like 23 minutes or whatever. So Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. I got a lot. I watch, we watch a decent amount. Yeah, thanks yeah. for the suggestions. I look forward to watching more TV as my life gets slower. And, and the thing is, it seems like, seems like it could be a waste to watch TV, but it's like entertainment. And if you think about it, this is how I justify it, is um, it's storytelling, right? If you think about it that way, you're like, oh, 
like we could do a, you know, a series of podcasts like we have been doing where it's like, we're introducing a lot of questions. We don't answer everything. And we're like, hey, in the next one, we're going to cover this area. And it keeps people hopefully hooked a little bit more because hopefully they enjoyed what we were doing before. So you could trick yourself to think that uh, watching TV is a, it's a good pursuit. Yeah, and I'm going to push back on that, and I will say it isn't a waste of time for me because I watch it right before I go to bed in a darkened room, and I find it calls me down and settles me down. Like uh, before I would watch TV, I'd take like an hour to fall asleep, and now I could fall asleep almost very quickly. I won't say instantly, but maybe five or ten minutes. So instead of laying there awake for an hour, I watch an hour of TV, and then I fall asleep right away, so it's all the same. Perfect. That's the way to do it. Yeah. Let's get into our interview. Again, this is Steve. He is 31 from New Jersey. I'm going to put my reading glasses back on. It'll happen to you, young listeners, too. Your eyes will degrade. Uh, let's see. He actually he has a child on the way. He was raised in Florida. It sounds like his parents were on the ball about money. They always lived a frugal life. He discovered the FI movement around 2017. He started tracking his net worth from January 2017. Uh, let's see, and it was 1722, and it's now grown to 500000 So, again, that's $1,722 to 500000 in six short years. That's pretty impressive. That's like $80,000 a year that he's uh, managed to accumulate on average, and some yeah. of that is due to appreciation, but good work, Steve. Uh, this is largely thanks to career progression. He has stayed disciplined. Uh, they have about $100,000 of home equity. Their only debt is their mortgage. They have a 2018 Hyundai with 6,000 miles on it. Uh, he says he has a pretty strong base at his age. Uh, again, they've got a child that's about to be born. Uh, the main question, let's get to the first one. We should hit our FI number with around a 30% buffer, so he's going to overshoot by the time he's 40. He says, I think that'll give us the flexibility and I can look back and say I had nearly a two-decade-long career in finance. This is using conservative estimates. From there, I hope to coast and cover our annual spending around 55000 to further our buffer, provide health insurance, and do something more enjoyable. He talks about maybe working at something like REI or Patagonia to help people discover the joy of the outdoors. He's an avid hiker. Um... He's also thinking about starting a club that focuses on planting native trees and litter pickup just as a way to give back. Some of the things he is thinking through, now we get to his questions. I might have an opportunity to change companies for the same pay and cut my commute from one hour to 10 minutes. This would be a significant lifestyle change and give me more time with our coming child. My fear is leaving New York City the heart of finance. Though we live eight miles out of the city, I think it's an identity issue, which I especially worry about as we approach Phi. So much of who I am or who I believe myself to be is tied to work. Having a hard work ethic, working in a competitive environment, I'm not sure how I will shift this. Well, shit, Doug, we didn't start out with the easy one. <laughs> Do you want to take a step? <laughs> yeah, so I'll quickly answer how to um, <laughs> deal with an identity crisis. Um, it depends. <laughs> like, like all good answers to, to good questions, the answer is it depends. So uh, overall, um, I, I'm going to, I'm going to punt this question just for a second. You mentioned it. Steve has done a great job growing their net worth. 31 years old, 500K net worth. That's amazing. Do you have any clue what your net worth was when you were 31? Ballpark? I'm 31. Yeah. It probably wasn't negative, but definitely under 100000 
How about you? Probably negative. Um, I had a, I had my mortgage at that time with a house that was in foreclosure and all that. I don't think I had any debt um, aside from the mortgage, um, but it would have been pretty. Oh, you know what? If you maybe it was a, a little bit positive, but not much. When we started tracking in like 2014 or so, um, it was probably like 200k, something like that. Okay. So yeah, not that great. But the the point is, they've done a great job. Um, traditionally, like working in New York, living in New Jersey, it's expensive, right? So the fact that they've been able to do it there is pretty cool. Yeah. Um. So good job there, and. I think if people want to emulate that, it's uh, kind of the opposite of some of the episodes that we've been talking about spending money. Like when you're in your 20s and you're just out of college, like it's a little bit easier to keep that lifestyle down when you get those raises or whatever. Just kind of keep it steady. Don't go crazy. Don't buy like a new house or think, hey, I got to buy a new car um, because I have a few hundred dollars extra per month. Don't do that. Um, okay. So the big thing, back to the question and... There's, a, there's several things here. I'm going to unpack it sentence by sentence. So I would say, even though it could hurt our podcast listenership, if you can cut your commute down to 10 minutes from an hour, do that. Um, commuting potentially is a huge waste of time. It depends on the commute. For me, it was a fucking nightmare. What about you? Yeah, absolutely. And the thing that stuck out to me with this question is he's about to have a kid. You're going to want to be home as much as you can. He didn't say what his wife's situation is, if she's still working or not. But uh, Steve, you're going to want to be home as much as possible to help family support. Yeah. So that'll that'll change things pretty quick, I suspect. Um, the next part, the the big thing is, I think it's an identity issue, which I worry about as we approach five. So. He doesn't want to leave the heart of New York, the heart finance. And it's interesting because I know, I know when I think back when I was working the corporate job, they, they send you for a couple of weeks to orientation and they kind of, they try to indoctrinate you to whatever the philosophies are there. And it's like, you know, hard work, you know, we work hard, we play hard, like they're, they're buying lunch for us, they're spending money on us. And you're like, yeah, this is, this is really cool. And they have, you know, senior executives come and they, they chat with you and you're like, yeah, this is the path forward. I want to be where they are. And I bought into that for a while. And I, I think when I was younger, I'm pretty sure if I would, you know, go to myself or people from the FI community and you're like, hey. You don't have to do all this. You don't have to have responsibilities like that. And you don't have to, you know, give up so much time to the corporation. I probably would have thought, oh, I, I want the responsibility. I want to, I want to have a team. I want to manage these people because they were, they were sort of like tying my identity up into the job. So I thought it was really important because everyone around me thought it was important. Now, like stepping away, I can't believe that I, I would have thought that. Like, it seems so silly to me. And maybe, Steve, it's because everyone around you is like identifying as that. They're like, yeah, we're, we're doing this extra work. We're doing more and more and more. And it feels good to be recognized. You know, I think in some of the other correspondence here with Steve, 
He mentioned that he's progressed quickly. He's pretty successful for his age and he takes pride in that, which is cool. It's great to do well, whatever your pursuit is. But I think as time shifts, hopefully, you know, he'll realize like there's other stuff I want to do. He does say, hey, it'll be cool. I'll have 20 years in corporate finance or, or what or in finance. And um, I think who cares? It, like that's maybe not even something to have pride about. I mean, maybe 10 years, you know, that's cool. Do your thing. And uh, I'm off the deep end here. You'll reel me back in. But I'm to the point where I was walking, uh, I was walking in Boulder on Pearl Street. Uh, middle of the day, I'm dressed like a, like we dress, you know, like a couple college kids. It's, we, we dress horrible, Carl. We got to get this under control. But I saw a couple guys who looked important because they were wearing suits and they were having lunch and they were having a fucking cappuccino or something like that. And I, I was like, oh, I feel bad for those guys because they have to wear suits out here in the sun. I was like, ah. If they only knew how great it could be to wear shorts and a t-shirt and wear something comfortable because I hate to wear a suit, especially when it's sunny and you're sitting there and you're fucking sweating in the sun. And I just, I felt bad for him, which is the opposite, right? I used to look up to those people. So it's just like everything's flipped upside down is your point of view. So I spewed a bunch of crazy stuff. I had too much coffee earlier today, Carl. So what, what do you think about what I said? No, I just want to, uh, I had a similar experience. I was on a metro train going to downtown Chicago at rush hour, and this was after I had left. So I'm just wearing whatever I wanted, probably dressed like trash, like usual. And there's all these people with suits, and I had the same thought, like, oh, man, I'm glad I don't have to do that. And then we were at the Berkshire Hathaway meeting in Omaha, which is, uh, there is no dress code for it. I'll say that first and foremost. And a lot of people there are wearing suits, like, why the, f what the fuck would you do that for? You th you're trying to get Warren to notice you up there and like the third deck, your 80 rows back. Why, why would you want to do that? But I think it, it's that external scorecard, right, Doug? They're, they're not doing it to make themselves happy. They're doing it because they want to be perceived in a certain way, which is, uh, toxic might be too strong of a word, but I don't think it's a healthy way to live. Mm -hmm. Uh, and to build on that, uh, Steve only has 10 more years to go, and I think not only is it not a good idea to stay at, in New York City, I think it's actually dangerous because he's going to become more entrenched in that. He's going to become, I'm not saying he's addicted to it now, but he's going to become, uh, yeah, maybe more addicted to it, and it's going to be that much harder for him to leave when he's 40. Maybe he'll get some more promotions, and he'll really be absorbed in that New York City finance lifestyle, and it's going to be that much harder. I think he should start breaking away now. I'm very fortunate that I had an experience younger when I first started my career. I think I told you about this before, Doug, on a podcast where we had layoffs at Sears and this guy across the cube from me was going to get laid off and his whole life was built around Sears. He was in all the sports teams. There were sports teams and all this shit going on. And, and then I learned he was going to get fired and the, the, the big day came. They took him away. His manager talked to him to tell him he was getting in the can and they let him come back and clean out his cube. And he was just crying his eyes out. I saw that. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, Chuck, I feel so bad for you. That was my first thought. And then the other thought is, holy shit, like I can't, I should be on good terms with all my coworkers. I should do work I enjoy, but I never want to 
be that. I don't want my life to be my job like his. I want to keep that completely separate and distant, put it on some kind of, I guess what I'm looking for is compartmentalize it. Is that the Mm -hmm. right word, Doug? Yeah, you got it. Yeah, put it in its spot. So if this ever goes away, the money part will suck, but nothing else will suck about it. Yeah. And yeah, very well said. I think- you know, another thing he mentioned here, so I, I want to point this out. So I, so much of who I am or who I believe myself to be is tied to work, having a hard work ethic, working in a competitive environment. And I, uh, I probably sounded negative earlier, but I, we definitely encourage you, Steve, to try to break away because I think in the future, like that stuff probably is not going to serve you as well as it has there. And we were talking in a previous episode, I think, Carl, where like I've kind of ended up dividing my um, sort of like working career into like 10 year chunks. And it's like I worked really hard in this and realized I didn't like certain things, but I liked other things, got some skills, took it to another area. I'm doing the same thing right now. And, you know, there's always like little transition periods, but, you know, those those qualities will serve you well elsewhere, focusing on your family, perhaps, or like for the community um, sort of projects that you were thinking of working on. But, you know, working hard in a competitive environment in a corporate atmosphere, the sooner you could start breaking away from it, the better. And I think you nailed it, Carl. I mean, it's just the more you do it, the, here's the problem. He's going to end up making more money. And in a book that we're reading um, right now, it's the Do Nothing book. I forget the author, but we'll we'll uh, figure that out and link it up. But the more money that you're making, th- this there's some psychological studies, right? Okay, so I'm not just making it up. But basically, the more money you're you make, the more um, the more you think of yourself, right? Because we're putting value on the money that we're earning, which is kind of natural, and then. He's going to be working, earning more, continuing to progress. He'll probably be mentoring people, even more people than he is now, and he'll be even more entrenched in the whole thing. So the sooner he could break away, the better. Yeah. Uh, One final point I have to say on this is I think most people, uh, I think a lot of people are like Steve. Steve, we're not trying to throw you under the FI bus or anything like that, but I would think an error that many make, including myself, is they value their work more than they value your life. And I think Steve might be doing a little bit of this here now because he's saying he could have the exact same job with a short commute with a baby coming, but he doesn't know if he should stay at the job. So at some point, he has to make a a decision about which one he really cares about more. And I'm simplifying it here. I know there's a lot of other stuff Mm -hmm. that goes into it. I I made the same error. I'm just as guilty, way more guilty than Steve. Steve is... uh, doing a way better job than I ever did. But but yeah. that's something for you to, to think about, Steve. Yeah. And to a couple other clarification points. So I agree 100%. I think we're speaking on our own. We're talking to ourselves like in the past, not you specifically, Steve. But it's like we don't necessarily have it figured out at all. I don't think we, first, I don't think we ever uh, pretend like that. Um, but we do have a few extra decades of experience between the two of us where we're like, you you probably are going to look back and think, ah, like, I wish I didn't spend more time at the office. Like, no one thinks that, right? Um, the other piece, 
is uh, I was making fun of people who wear, wear suits. And I know some people take pride in how they dress and that's cool. If it makes you feel good, do that. I know uh, when I shave my head and it's um, it's really smooth. You've touched it before, Carl. I, I have. Yeah. When, one time we were sharing a room, I woke up. Carl standing over me, touching my head. I thought we'd agreed not to talk about that, but <laughs> here we are. So, so anyway, I know how good I feel right after I shave my head. And and the thing is, so many have you ever shaved your head bald like that? I have not. Listen out. I might go for it. We should do a live recording where we do it. I don't even know how you would go about doing that yet. Cut it down with like the wall and then go for it with a razor at the end or I'll take care of you, buddy. <laughs> so you don't worry yourself with details like that. <laughs> I, but, I can't wait. But, but there's so many people are not going to be able to experience like how smooth it is and just have a, you know, a shorn scalp. It's uh, quite an experience. So coming up next, and I don't know if you read this part, but further on the identity topic, my grandparents and parents couldn't have imagined the opportunities I have. First generation to go to college. I feel if I coast around 40, I would be squandering the opportunity setting and setting up future generations for success. How do you deal with that? Is that a common concern? Have you ever thought of this, Carl? Uh, I have a little bit, and I think I have a good answer to it. I'm, I'm kind of curious. I need to think a little bit, bit about this. I don't think I've really squandered any opportunities. And I'm not exactly sure what Steve is getting to, but I wanted to make sure that if I chose to, I would have enough money for my kids to go to school. And beyond that, I'm not really sure what else I want to do. If I die with a shit ton of money or if I'm coming close, maybe another couple decades and we have a shit ton, I'll leave some to the library or maybe some other uh, organizations that I care about. But I don't feel obligated to work longer just to save up money to do that. I want to take care of my immediate family and uh, I think it ends after that. W what do you think, Doug? So, because I don't have kids, I was focusing on the first part, which is his parents and grandparents set him up for great opportunities, right? First to go to college, amazing, right? And now he has the opportunity to take advantage of in and really like capitalize on the opportunities that came about from the sacrifices of his parents and grandparents. And that's what I'm looking at. And I don't, I mean, I don't think that is an issue. So I, I, I don't, I under, my mom immigrated from the Philippines, right? Huge first one from her family to come over, probably barely spoke English and then like brought I don't even know how many of our relatives over, like 20 plus people. She like worked through immigration and like petitioned and got them over, you know. So huge sacrifices on her part. And, you know, thinking back, it's like, man, she didn't know anyone here. Like she was a nurse, came out to uh, Georgia and then huge amount, right? So the thing is, I suspect I could justify anything. I think people are, are realizing that. Our, our uh, parents and grandparents would probably be more impressed if we like figured out life, how to be happy, not how to like 
make more money for the corporation and like work more hours, like having more free time at home to spend with your family is probably one of the best things you could do versus like, hey, I accumulated more money. That said, every family is a little bit different. So there's a chance like certain families will value like the net worth number more. And, you know, that's something you would have to reconcile, talk to them about, not talk to them about and just do your shit. But my hunch is if your parents are still around um, or even your grandparents, you're you're fairly young. So maybe your grandparents are still alive. Like if you're able to spend time with them and like take some trips with them, maybe give them more time with the grandkids. Like that's, that's even more important than you like continuing on your career, I think. Yeah, absolutely. You are 100% correct there, Doug. I completely agree with you. I think the the one point I would pick is I think some old school people, um, I was just talking to a friend and I know his in-laws judged him that they actually just made a snarky comment. He had said that his daughter had gotten a job and the in-laws said, well, but she's making more money than you now to the father who is an FI guy and retired and they don't get it, but who cares if they don't get it? Screw them. Yeah. Uh, I've got two more points to make on this. One is if Steve is planning to leave money to descendants, you can't control what they do. And a lot of times I've read studies about this. The second generation, your kids see all the hard work that went into it. They're not going to squander your money. They'll probably use it wisely. But then the the third generation completely loses it and goes nuts and blows the whole thing. Uh, Tons of stories about this. Uh, the most famous one is the Vanderbilts. What is that book called? I just read it. History's Children, something like that. But a lot of those people have zero money despite Cornelius Vanderbilt being the richest person by far who ever lived. So you're not going to be able to control what happens to it. The other thing I'll say, and I think this is much more important than this, is you're undervaluing what you might do when you are retired, I think of people, and these are extreme cases, but look at Mr. Money Mustache and look at him. From both a money perspective, he makes a healthy income from the blog. And look at all the people he's helped. And I know uh, I'm not, uh, I've not had anywhere near the impact of a Mr. Money Mustache or any of these big media people, but I do know that I've helped some people. And I know I could have never done that if I still had the job and wasn't doing what I do now. And and you even alluded to it, how you want to do litter pickups and trees and this different kind of advocacy. You could have a much better, more positive impact on the world doing that than working in finance. Uh, I was just at the, I mentioned I was at the Berkshire meeting and uh, uh, <laughs> no, I'm thinking. That was a good, yeah. I like how you breathed on the mic. There. Uh, Munger and Buffett were talking about how kind of bad it is that the smartest people in society are just figuring out ways to squeeze more sense out of these investments. They should be trying to make the world a better place, maybe trying to perfect a fusion reactor or do something. So I I think you you could do a lot other better things in your life, not to diminish what you currently do. Although maybe I just did. I probably just did. I probably threw his whole career (laughs) under the bus. I'm sorry, Steve. Uh, I'm not this much of an asshole. Just a slight one. Uh, but I think you could probably do some super great things and you're not maybe considering that enough. I can't remember exactly what I replied back to Steve, but it was essentially what you just said, Carl. It was like, you are holding yourself back from the stuff that you're about to do by continuing to work 
in the finance industry. It's like you could do something really great, better than what you're doing. You probably you don't even know what it is yet. You don't even know the thing. So what Pete was, uh, Mr. Money Mustache, Pete was retired for a few years before he even started the blog, right? He was just like hanging out and enjoying yep. life, right? Yeah. Like three, four years. And um, it took him a little little time to get bored to think, hey, I want to share the story and start blogging. And then, like you said, now he's impacted you know millions of people, like really, per, like tons of people in the community here. Like Longmont has changed because of Pete. Yeah, we would not be talking right now if it wasn't for Pete. Yeah. So anyway, the point is, we're sure your career is great, but think about uh, transitioning a little bit because you're going to have to before long. And the sooner you start, the sooner like you could break those ties. And you know, for me, I was really lucky in that I started quiet quitting very early and was like sort of disenchanted. Is probably the right word, and then started working remotely and then we moved away and i was starting some side hustle stuff so my identity was already not a consultant it was not project manager i was like i'm kind of dabbling with some stuff on the side and then when i got laid off it was like over i was like oh great now i could do my own shit i don't even know what i describe myself as now but people understand like podcaster youtuber now but they didn't even just like three four years ago they're like ah, i'm not really sure so um if you could start breaking away it'll make you feel <laughs> it'll make it so much easier in, in a little while so all right we yeah. have some other things to cover here what what are we at here carl yeah let's see let's get to his next point um his career is very demanding he works long days he's got long commutes tough clients but here we go the pay is very good. Isn't it funny how pay can compensate or at least the lies we tell ourselves? We'll put up with a bunch of shit for a bunch of money. Anyway, he says, I believe in making hay while you can. How do you balance that with walking away from new challenges, new lifestyle, first being challenging, you know, uh, changing job closer to home and then shifting to a coast job around 40? I worry I would regret blowing the opportunity I have. It seems a balance of how long to tough it out versus pull the ripcord. I feel so close, yet so far from thigh. I say nine years as we want a wide buffer, but probably closer to six or seven before hitting our true thigh number. Oh, there's a lot to chew on there, Doug. Hmm. Yeah. And as I talk to more and more people that have retired, they're... Basically, they're like, oh, I wish I would have done it sooner. Everything would have been fine. Now, we've been in a really good market the last, uh, you know, 15 years until, uh, I guess, the kind of recession we're in right now. Um, so, that ob obviously, like, changes the equation a bit. But, yeah, I mean, there's only a couple of people where they're like, ah, eh, I want to go back to work. There's a couple, a couple weirdos out there that really like work. Um, but... That's, uh, yeah, it's like three more year syndrome right there. Oh, what do you, what do you think? Yeah. A couple things come to mind. The number one piece of advice I would give to Steve is try to take some extended time off along the way. Maybe take a sabbatical in a couple of years, especially when your kid is born, you're going to be pretty busy. But once you hit that fine number, take a sabbatical, then take six months off and see how you real really feel. I think that will either cement the decision to leave 
Or maybe you want to work out some kind of alternate job agreement where you work part-time or do something else. Who knows? You'll never know until you do it. Because I think it is, like the hard thing is, he's working all these hours. Even with his new job, he's still going to be working full-time. But going from that to stepping away completely is pretty big. If you can give your chance and time to experiment and to try it out for a while, I think that will cement the decisions and clear everything up. Um, I had yeah. another point here, which I'm going to try to remember now. Oh, my other thing was he should set a number in his head, maybe even write something now, like when I get to my two million or whatever his number specifically is, uh, I'm going to leave and maybe try to remind himself of that. I know there's a website you can go to where you can type an email and it'll send you an email like every month or whenever you want, like to future you or Something like that. I can't remember what that's called. Have you ever done that, Doc? No, no, I haven't. But yeah, I think he should set a number and then revisit that every once in a while, hold himself to the goal. Yeah, I've heard I've heard that approach where it's like, you know, you you determine it ahead of time and like you make the decision like whatever, six months, a year, years ahead of time so that you actually stick to it. And uh versus like uh, you know what, we should save up a little bit more here just to be safe. Cause like a little bit more is always a little bit less risky. So you could talk yourself into that like sort of indefinitely. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I'll say is after a while, money is diminishing returns. If he spends 55000 a year and has $2 million per the 4% rule, that would be like an $80,000 spend. What is more money going to do for you at that point? What you need in your life is more time, not more money. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you're you're in a spot, Carl, right now where you're like transitioning out of being really busy, right? You're finishing all all the projects. To my knowledge, yeah. you are not uh, buying another house, right? Hell no. No, no, no. Okay. That, that scares me. We need to set up that email for you like once a week. It's like, don't buy a house, dude. Yeah. <laughs> but I, the, uh, I forgot what I was going to say. Um. Jesus. All right. So we'll we'll keep we'll keep moving with this. Uh well we we're talking about how the value of time versus money and how I've oh. scaled back and you scaled back and now you have more time and you seem less stressed out. I could tell already. Yeah, it's so good. I can't stress this enough. And a lot of times these things are hard to realize until you're maybe on the other side, as you alluded to earlier in our conversation, Doug. You don't realize the trench you were in until you're out of it and see the sunshine and rainbow is on the other side. And I think that's definitely the case for me right now. But the other thing is I don't think we value time as much as we should. Like that's our most valuable resource. But it, I think Bill Perkins alludes to this too. It's hard to value things when you think they're infinite, which is the case when we're young and yeah, everything still works and we think we have in infinite time left. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, again, we don't have stuff figured out. So I was going to say like, I struggle with like where I'm spending my time. And there's some, there's some pieces of the work that I do where I'm like, is this worth, worth my time? I could do like literally something very unproductive, like play guitar. And it'll be a better use of my time than like replying back to, um, whatever inbound emails where people are asking me for something. Right. So those are pretty much useless. And I won't, um, every now and then I, uh, I kind of, I kind of 
kind of lose it. All right. So this will tie in. Uh, I think the next episode we're going to record is about stoicism. So we'll we'll talk about that. So just a little bit of a teaser, but this is uh, sort of anti-stoic. Uh, so I get a lot of inbound emails from my other business, right? And people will will ask me for stuff, and occasionally I will start replying back instead of just deleting it or whatever. I'll start replying back and. Kind of just being a dick, basically. Very short. I don't even write like complete um, full sentences, but it's just like fragments. So someone's like, hey, can we hop on a call? I just want to like help you out. And I have this service. It's not a sales call. I just literally want to help you out. And I was like, "Uh, no, thanks. Like what you described is literally a sales call. And they're like, no, no, I really don't want to sell anything. I just want to try to tell you things that'll be helpful. And by the way, here's a testimonial from some of my clients. And I'm like, dude, this is a sales email. And what you described again is even more of a sales call. So occasionally I just, I'm like replying back. I did again, not long emails are very short, but they're like, uh, basically the subtext is fuck off. <laughs> Felt good though. And I'm just like, oh man, I'm sending these zingers. The other part is, I could always use it for content, right? Like I'm talking about it right now. It's kind of funny. Shows my asshole side, which uh, you know everybody needs to see. No, it's good. It's good to be direct. I see the way you reply to our emails, some of the, the pitches. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I could take a lesson. What is our email address, by the way? Carl and Doug at milehifi.com, right? Yeah, you got it. Uh, okay, good. It's either Carl. It's just because we recorded yesterday and it's fresh on my mind. So it's either Carl at milehifi.com or hate mail. To, uh, to Doug at milehifi.com. Yeah. It's always listed in the show notes too. So people get confused. Yeah. So there's one other thing I would say to Steve. And Steve, if you end up keep on doing what you're doing and keep going, you're going to end up like me, which I'm in a position where I oversaved, which is great. But if I could give myself, if I could force myself to do one thing, go back in time, it would be to work less and have less money and more time. I would invest in Bitcoin if I could go back and, and then sell it, you know, before the bottom drops out. You'd go back to like 1890 and buy Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Did you, uh, this, this is always a bad idea to do, but I'm going to, I'm going to do it anyway. Did you, did you, um, <laughs> you like Nate Pargatze, right? The stand-up comedian. Yeah, oh yeah, he's good. You ever see the bit where he's like, if I went back in time, I'd probably be like less successful than I am now. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I don't remember that one. I've only seen one of his specials and. Okay, I won't describe it because that's the part where you start losing pe- people. We'll put a clip into Instagram, but it's it's pretty hilarious, and I would probably do the same. Like if if you and I were able to go back in time, Carl, we would potentially be less successful than we are now. Even though we have all this knowledge from the future, we would just be ineffective in doing it. We'd somehow screw it up. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I have this idea for electric cars, and you're like, how do you do it? And you're like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how to do it. You're like, with the batteries and lithium and magnesium, I don't know what the fuck they put in the batteries, but it's like, we just have to mine it out. And then, I don't know, are there electrical engineers around here? <laughs> they told me to buy Apple. I'm going to buy Blackberry instead. I don't, that's good information. Yeah. So we'll put a link to it because I'll just ruin the joke. All right, cool. So we went through a lot of stuff here. Um, anything else you're, you're thinking, Carl, or should we tighten a bow? I don't think so. I'd really like to hear what other advice people have for Steve. You can leave a comment in the show notes. You could 
send us an email and we will forward it on to Steve. Yeah, I'm curious to see what we missed or what people think we perhaps got wrong. Yeah. And I'll 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 try to summarize my thoughts. So Steve, you're doing great. I think we spoke, you know, harshly here and there, but overall, start transitioning out of your job. That that's the idea. Even if it's um, you know, working less hours, it will be very difficult. This will be the equivalent of I, I was pretty good in school. I made good grades and stuff. I got a lot of pride from doing that. And this is the equivalent of just doing less, like getting worse grades. Your managers are going to be like, why? Like your performance is going down. We could tell you're not putting as much effort in. And you, they will push you to do more. That is literally their job. They're trying to extract more value from you <laughs> than they're paying you. So they're, they're, they don't want you to underperform, but I encourage you to start quiet quitting, which will be extremely difficult because everything around you is telling you to work harder and like get the raises and blah, blah, blah. But like you said, Carl, at some point, it's diminishing returns. If you're on a track to do what you're talking about, you're, you're going to be fine. And you'll be better off if you start detaching from your identity as an employee and start moving into like something else. So, you know, common question in the US is like, what do you do? And, you know, we, we've talked about it. We don't really like that question. We give an answer because we uh, follow social conventions. We don't want to be, we're already awkward. We don't want to make it more awkward. So, you know, we answer something that we can move forward with that can drive the conversation and then we can steer from there. But your goal, Steve, should be like you're you're a father and, you know, you have a side project where you help, uh, you know, clean up litter in your community and you plant native trees, right? Like, what do you do? I'm working on these like community projects I'm really excited about. So that's what your focus should be. It won't make sense to you right now. In a decade, I hope it'll make a lot of sense. I have two final thoughts. The first one was, did you ever watch Jerry Springer, Doug? Uh, just a tiny bit. Yeah. Did you ever see the final, like Jerry's final thought he would do at the end of the show? <laughs> That's kind of ringing a bell now. Yeah, you, you just yeah. did the Jerry final <laughs> thought. And, and for listeners, like there'd be the topic of the show would be like, my three sisters slept with my husband, da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> That they'd be fighting, people would be throwing chairs, but not the, at the very end they'd focus in on Jerry and he'd give some thought like family is what matters, da 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 da. And that's what Doug just did right now. That was very good, Doug. You could take over for him. I know he's dead now. Maybe you, you could get your own talk show. Thanks. He was like the mayor of Cincinnati, right? He was. Shout out Skyline Chili. Yeah, Skyline Chili <laughs> represented. Uh, the other thing on a more serious note is Doc G has a book. And it is called, I just looked this up, it is called Taking Stock, a Hospice Doctor's Advice on financial independence, building wealth, and living a regret-free life. But the it's a great book. The part I really liked about it is the part where he talks about identity. And Steve, I would highly suggest you get this book and read that because that help that might help guide you at a very deep, low, thoughtful level about what you want to do after you're done in finance. Thanks for listening to the show. That was the Mile High Five podcast, and I'm Doug Cunnington. 
the balder host, and Carl Jensen is the cool, sexy one. If you dig the show, please do three things for us. Number one, tell a friend, a family member, an enemy about the show. We really don't care who you tell. Maybe forward them a specific show that you know that they will like. It's the single most helpful thing that you could do to spread the word. It's like giving us a virtual high five and uh, actually we don't give high fives in, in person. So the virtual kind's pretty good. And more importantly, your friend or family member or even your enemy will appreciate the fact that you were thinking of them. Number two, make sure you're following or subscribed on your podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, YouTube, whatever you're using. And that way you won't miss a show. And number three, please leave us a rating and review. We read them on the show occasionally, and you might hear yours out there on an upcoming episode. Quick disclaimer, this show is not financial or legal advice. I'd actually be surprised if it sounded like it. It's really just for entertainment, and that's at least what we're hoping for. But seriously, get advice from professionals. Carl and I are just two guys with microphones that sit in my basement and talk. So we'll catch y'all next week. Carl, you watched or had some information about a talk about Egypt, and you said there was something really interesting. I did. I went to a talk yesterday with an Egyptologist. I'm going to look up the guy's name right now because I forgot. His name is Zahi Hawass. I'm sorry, Mr. Hawass. H-A-W-A-S-S. Hawass. I'm sorry, Mr. Hawass, if I am butchering your name, but it was pretty interesting because you could tell this guy... I think he's done a lot. He's probably done a lot for Egypt, but but he's also a very controversial character because he seems to really, really like media attention. We went to an hour and a half talk, and probably 10 minutes of it was just him showing pictures of himself with various movie stars like and, and people from Hollywood like George Lucas and Angelina Jolie and all these people and, and relating stories of what these people had said to him and how much they loved him and all this shit. So I was kind of skeptical. But at one part, he started talking about King Tut, and specifically, he started talking about King Tut's penis. So uh, apparently, when King Tut was discovered by Carter and Seti back in the 20s, his penis was there, intact, and mummified, brace yourself, Doug, in an erect position. Wow. Yeah, I don't know how how they did that. (laughs) And I think King Tut may have had some kind of disorder, maybe due to inbreeding, because his Unit was exceptionally small. Anyway, after that discovery, his penis mysteriously disappeared and no one knew where it went to. This guy's telling this whole elaborate story about all this. And apparently all that is true, but then he claims to have rediscovered it. It was just buried in the sand or some shit like around where his tomb was. So this guy had lots of other crazy claims. I think he said he discovered the pyramids. Uh, I, I actually made that one up. He didn't discover the pyramids. <laughs> Those are pretty easy to find. But yeah, just tons of crazy claims. But the King Tut penis really stuck out to me. <laughs> Why uh, why'd you go to this thing? Uh, my mom is in town and she is really into Egypt. I guess this guy is on TV, like the Discovery Channel, and maybe even National Geographic. It, oh, okay. it was pretty interesting. I've always wanted to see that stuff in real life, like the pyramids. I think that'd be pretty cool. Do you have any interest in that kind of stuff, Doug? Or? Yeah, we've been talking about that, uh, specifically <clears throat> Egypt, but 
they always have like uh, travel warnings and this and that for over there. Although my my aunt, who's like, um, shit, how old is he? She's like 78, something like that. She went in the last year. I think some of her neighbors are from Egypt. So she got like sort of a locals type tour. She got to see all this shit you're talking about. But, you know, when you travel with locals, especially to a place like Egypt, I think it's a completely different experience. But yeah, yeah. I have a, a lot of interest in in like world travel and stuff like that. It's just, you know, we haven't done much international travel here in the last like decade or so. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. I'd like to go see it too. And I looked up that issue as well. And apparently it's safer than you think. The reason they said mm-hmm. is because so much money comes in due to tourism that they really, really go out of their way to try to ensure bad things aren't going to happen. And they have, but I think it's been a while. I think a bus got machine gunned or something like that. And I think they thought it was Americans, but it turned out to be Germans. Whoops. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I think it'd be cool to see. I, I almost asked the guy a question. I was looking at these pyramids and he was talking about all the workers that made them. And I'm like, where did they all go to that bathroom? Especially if you're like deep in that sucker. Like, I don't think there was toilet facilities in the actual pyramid. I suspect there aren't now. Like, I'm kind of curious about that. I mean, when you got to go, you got to go, right? Did they carry it out or? Yeah, I don't know. It's like, um, yeah, I don't know. That's uh, <laughs> that's what everyone was thinking. Like, where, where all these people go to the bathroom? You would think, I mean, they're pretty sophisticated. The, the freaking things are like 500 feet tall. You think there's a there'd be a bathroom in there somewhere. If they could figure out how to build that, they'd figure out some kind of even rudimentary sanitation system. But yeah. Maybe know. it was just in like buckets or something. They carried it out. Yeah. Maybe dump it into the Nile. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So would you recommend going to a talk with this dude? If, if people have the opportunity, uh, I would say if they're into Egypt, I think this guy has probably done more good, even though he is, um, he really, really loves attention. I think he's probably done a lot of good bring attention and if he has discovered half the stuff he said he has he's made he's still made a lot of incredible discoveries but i don't know if you can actually see the the penis or not i don't know how hard it is to get into king tut's tomb he didn't elaborate on that part but mm. if you go first let me know okay all right I'll, I'll try to hunt it down we'll do a google image search to see what we find <laughs> 